Welcome to episode 17 of the Built Broadcast Podcast and today's episode we're going to be talking about embedding public engagement within our teaching space. Um, so I don't know very much about this topic as usual really. All I can think about is when we went to land at no on a school trip when we were in year nine and asked a load of pensioners how much time they spend at the beach. Um, so hopefully we'll have a more adult conversation <laughs> about it today. Um, I don't know, that's pretty close to what we do. <laughs> we make no promise. Yeah. Um, so I'm joined by two guests today um, and I'll just let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Ash Tierney. Uh, I work in Built as a learning developer. Hi, I'm Keir Williams. I'm a lecturer in design thinking here at the Centre for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Brilliant. So to start, Kia and Ash, can you just talk a bit about your experiences with public engagement? Sure. Um, so as part of my teaching here at the Centre, one of the things that we kind of find is it's really difficult to do innovation based in a small room um, or a big room. So one of the things we really encourage our students to do is to use Bristol as a resource. Um, and by that, I mean the people, the places, the histories, the, the kind of the wider context of Bristol. So one of the things I'm really keen on doing is making sure that we work with public bodies um, and organisations within Bristol with our students. Um, so a few of the projects I've worked on the last few years have been um, working with the M-Shed Museum um, on uh, or a history project. I've worked with uh, We The Curious, um, sorry, when I say I, I mean me and my students. So we work with We The Curious um, on a project looking at climate change um, and or history. Uh, I'm currently working with the Bristol University's theatre collection um, with my postgrad students um, where we've been looking at how we respond to objects within the collection. And there was a project I did, I think, two years ago now um, with an organisation called Cambay um, Arts, um, who uh, we were putting on an exhibition down at the Arnolfini, which kind of went horribly wrong. Um, How did it go wrong? I can talk about it in detail, as you do now. I mean, in a good way. I think actually it's quite a useful kind of case study to talk about. So part of my work is uh, is teaching, part of my work is research, part of my work is practice. Um so that's in terms of kind of arts practice and design practice. When we did the Kin event, it's a group I've been working with for a long time who do Shambhala Festival and a bunch of other kind of eco-based uh, festival production. Um, we decided to do an event that was How Do We Change the World? Okay. So, uh, you know, we're in this kind of state where we are now. It's all gone a bit wrong. What do we do to make it better? And I think we were thinking that on a local, global level. Quite a lot of the kind of, you know, key things people are thinking about at the moment. So as part of that, we organised a three-day event at the Arnolfini Gallery uh, in the centre of Bristol. The idea was we had an artist residence and a protester's residence that I was organising downstairs for the sort of bottom floor. We had uh, people coming to talk, we had raves in the evening, we had like a post-human panel discussions, we had games, we had loads of stuff. And actually what we ended up with was too much. Uh-huh. Um, which is why we didn't sell enough tickets, so it got cancelled a week before. Uh. Now, the reason I bring this up is I organised my first years to do an assignment based on that event. So the idea was we offered internships for the students, we offered a thing called Angels where they could basically look after one of the kind of main headline guests. We had a residency where I was going to incorporate students into the arts residency so they would create their own work and work with people. Um, it was kind of a kind of an arts research centre was the idea. So the assignment they were given was they had to create an intervention that brought two groups of people together into a social interaction. 
Now this could be anywhere across the city. That was the kind of the assignment. Because it kind of aligned with the kind of the the themes or the core kind of values of kin, right? Um, what, what happened was a week before it, the event got closed down, we didn't sell enough tickets, um, unfortunately. Um, what this meant was originally the students were going to go to the kin event, use that as an inspiration to kind of move on. Yeah. So I'm left there. This is maybe week four or five. The whole thing's kind of built around it. We'd already had one of the kind of um, producers in to talk to the students about how we were piecing it together. So when it went wrong, um, you end up with this kind of pivot point, which is something we talk about a lot in innovation. You know, this point you have to switch, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than giving up. <laughs> so what we did is we brought in the kind of the team that we'd been working with. This was after a week or so after it had gone kind of fairly badly wrong. Um, to talk about what had happened and why we had to pull the event, which was actually a really good learning for our students. Yeah. We then still, I still then got them to create these interventions in the city. So there were proposals for interventions, and this was everything from kind of sculptures that lit up as you got near to um, a uh, this kind of idea where you would send another golden record out into space, and you'd kind of leave uh, like a time capsule from Bristol and send it up in space. So, so these are some of the projects our students came up with. Um, I think it was really good in that it started to engage them with a lot of the organisations in Bristol were kind of part of the kin event. Um, I think if it, if it happened, I think it would have been a really bad, valuable thing for them. Yeah. As it was, we got to show, A, that we're doing kind of real practical work in the world, which I think is really important as mm-hmm. a lecturer. Um, we also... Um, we also got them to kind of engage with, I suppose, engage with the practicalities of running an event like this in that they go wrong, right? Yeah. Which would probably bring me on to the next project. I don't want to just talk about things that went wrong. No. But I think actually as, what it's, you'll find is that is what happens, right? And we don't talk about it enough when things go no. wrong. No. And I we should because... It's mostly going wrong. That. That's mostly <laughs> yeah. what you do. It's true. Yeah, it's mostly yeah. what you do in these kind of projects is you're, because you're forming them based on, well for me, I base a lot of this work on my research or my practice, right? So I've done shows at the M Shed, We The Curious, um, and I've got really interesting kind of theatre collections. So I turn that into my teaching, because A, it's something I know, it's something I can talk about in terms of the actual practical skills or theory behind. But it's also that relationship with an organisation is a really important learning step for them. But what you find is you're kind of having to learn this as you go along too, because it's not just you doing a show. So if I'm doing a show in the end shed, I have a practice that I use. I then have to translate that to my students doing a show. You also then can't just leave them to do everything because they're not a professional, whatever artist, you know, designer, curator. You then have to find the areas that you can cover and that they can do. So you kind of create a framework which is something that kind of seems to come up a lot in my work, is this idea of creating a framework for people to be able to achieve something within, whether it's creativity, play, fun, discussion, whatever that happens to be, or research. Yeah, and I think kind of linking into what you were saying is giving students the opportunity to see that failure is okay and it's surmountable and you can learn from that experience. So um, just to give you a bit of context on the work I've done in fieldwork, within archaeology, did a lot of projects, um, did some stuff over in Dig Hatteras in North Carolina for about three years, working with schools, working with community there, getting the students to lead on that public engagement within that really supported framework. I did the same thing in the Berkeley Castle project for about five years, back when I was doing my PhD. And I tried to embed some of the teaching, some of those frameworks and those skills and competencies into classroom activities within second year and third years. 
and they would do that before they go out in field work. So those students who did those sessions were a bit more prepared, but we also offered in the field training. And what we said to students is, here's the, here's the spectrum of things that you can do. It could be filmmaking, it could be photography, it could be leading tours, it could be designing exhibitions. There's a whole suite of things. And what I did was I let them pick which ones they wanted to try. And I always said to the students, if you go and do the things that you already know, what are you going to learn from yeah. it? Probably mm. not that much. So I'd always kind of try and encourage them to do things that they weren't familiar with and that they had a bit more um, uncertainty about. And I said, this is the time to do it. This is the time to, to test it. Here's all the training that we can do. Some of the students, so we might get some of the, the postgrad students who might have a particular skill in some big technology and they would teach a first year student that and they'll be cross year learning from nice. each other. And we partner each other up. So sometimes I do the training or sometimes other students would do it who'd been on the project for years in advance. And they just kind of share this knowledge and they start really trusting each other and they build these relationships, these friendships um, in a very kind of work focused, but really happy environment. And I said to them, if you go off and spend the whole day doing, I don't know, this film and it turns out it's an absolute disaster and everything's wrong and the sound was wrong and you forgot you were using your phone and you just kept it vertical instead of putting it horizontal and you don't really want to use it. That's okay. Because there's something from this that we can learn and you can try again tomorrow. And it's okay if everything goes wrong. Yeah. And in all the years we did Barclay, we, and with the students leading on a lot of this public engagement, nothing went wrong. The university wasn't brought into disrepute. The project wasn't. We were working really well with Barclay Castle family and staff who were really gracious with letting us have access, use their Wi-Fi and their shed for our... Um, for our public engagement team briefs. Um, But they got to work with the members of staff. They got to work with the local community. They got to work with the local schools. And then afterwards, I'm just getting all these calls and emails all the time asking for references from them because they're putting down their CVs and they're going, this is a brilliant opportunity. And they could talk about confidently in an interview things like, when have you failed and over? how did you overcome it? And they're like, oh, that's not a scary question anymore. I can really easily talk about it. And so facing these realities of the world around you, I think, is so important in what CARE is doing and really showing those students and putting students front and foremost in how we're taking our subject and our enthusiasm for our subject into the world and teaching them to be confident with that. So interestingly, I think this kind of relates back to some of my research I did for my PhD. So I work with um, kids with special needs looking at how you use media in the classroom to tell their stories. I'll get there, don't worry, this does link. <laughs> I'm just showing off. Um, so the thing that got me, one of the things that I found in that research was that there's, a, there's an element of kind of risk and reward that you have to consider when you're doing this kind of work for groups of people. So if you're creating a framework or a platform for them to be able to express their ideas or do research or whatever, you have to make sure that you're providing a risky situation to a point and by risky that might just be talking in front of three people that might be putting yourself up and presenting you know your research in a really kind of vulnerable way but that has to be you have to kind of keep that within uh you don't want that risk to be so big that it hurts the self-confidence yeah right so if it goes wrong they're never going to do this again it's awful right but you have to get that line right where you're not just putting them in a comfortable space so the projects I'm working on with the PGTs with the theatre collection at the moment. So our masters, we have students from all over the world, literally, um, 
I think most continents bar Antarctica. Um, we we have backgrounds as diverse as sort of lawyers, uh, political science, um, marketing, interior landscaping. Um, what was interesting with this project is not a single one of our students has any experience in exhibitions, theatres or collections. And I did that as a really deliberate thing because I think there's something really interesting in non-experts working with contexts they're not necessarily familiar with. Sorry, yeah. this sounds terrible, but... Um, there's something in providing that space to go, okay, right, you've never done curation, you've never thought about these objects, you've never thought about live art. And actually what was really exciting, so the Theatre Collection Project, I'll just go through that really quickly, sorry, <laughs> I'm talking about this like everyone knows. Um, my students, basically I worked with the collection for a while over the summer um, to look at how we could use objects to kind of inspire or as starting points for projects for our students. So one of the things I think we do here quite well is that we engage with people as a primary source, and here I'm in the Centre for Innovation. Yeah. Um, so we do what people then need, we talk to them, we have a lot of kind of methodology for that. I think one of the things that we may be lacking on was objects, using objects as sources. Um, I think objects as a primary source is an incredibly can be an incredibly inspiring thing for people, right? So <laughs> what I've noticed before when I've done projects at the M Shed, they have this thing called the L Shed next door, which is the archive of all of the stuff they have. It's insane. The minute you walk in there, people's faces light up. So students light up. They're suddenly really excited. They're suddenly like, oh, what can we do with that? And what's this thing here? And they dig into drawers. I kind of want to replicate that with the theatre collection to a point. So what we found is, the way I set it up was the theatre collection uh, curators um, chose a series of ten objects for us from the collections. We then got students to go, um, and I worked with them on thinking about that curation and what those looked like. We then got students to go. Um, we did about an, hour and a, about an hour introducing the collection, how it works, how you kind of deal with the catalogue, the kind of stuff they have, where it goes. All, you know, fairly... Fairly standard stuff. They looked, you know, as engaged as you can be in front of a PowerPoint. Um, we pulled the objects out. Instantly, everyone's faces lit up. Everyone was talking. Everyone was taking notes. Everyone was excited. Um, what sort of objects? Ah, so there was really cool. So there was ten objects. There was, there was. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there was Shakespeare's first edition of the Folio. There was leaves from that. Oh, so wow. I mean, that was what blew my mind. Yeah. There's performance artist um, Franco B. They have in the collection who. Sort of nineties, his work was around using cannulas to bleed over canvases and then create objects from the canvases. Yeah. So they got a pair of shoes, these bloody shoes, basically that'd been made by an artist based on the canvas he bled on, um, which was quite mind blowing. We had Welfare State, um, which is an organisation that kind of started in England the kind of community carnival, light parade esque stuff. I mean, yeah. not to discount the entire Afro Caribbean carnival community, yeah, yeah. but more that kind of community based. You go into a community, you work out what they need, you work with them. So it was a poster from that from an event they did. Um, another one was a star trap from the um, Old Vic. So a star trap is a, an object that allows you to kind of uh, jump, basically kind of pop up on stage. So it okay. looks literally like a star. There's these kind of flaps that open. You come through it and you're suddenly just there. It's like an instant, <laughs> like it's the magical effect from the kind of yeah. 17, 1800s. Um, there was others, um, those ones they chose. So from that, the way we did it, right, was that they had to have an exhibition in the theatre collection. They weren't um, creating a kind of a historical exhibition, which is what's typically there, right, for art history. Yeah. Here are the objects, here they relate. What we wanted them to do was, I call it the contextual web that surrounds an object. 
So that could be the kind of, uh, what's the word, material cultures of an object. There's different ways of saying it. But essentially, you start with an object. So they started with the Franco D boots, for example. They then had to kind of pull out the kind of various meanings or ideas or okay. avenues that that might inspire them. Yeah. So what I wasn't doing was that kind of... Uh, we start with a hypothesis in our research, we go and we ask a question. What they were starting with was, here is an object, you have to create an exhibition based on this object that engages audiences that wouldn't typically use the collection, which is pretty much everybody, because yeah. it's students and staff otherwise, right? So from that, uh, what really amazed me was, you know, I've got a chemistry student who did chemistry um, undergraduate here, who at the beginning was like, I was like, why have you chosen Franco P boots? And he said, well, because it blows my mind, I've never seen anything like it. He's just written me uh, their kind of proposal for the for what the exhibition is going to look like, and it talks about the kind of the liminality of the meaning within the performance. It talks about live art as mark making, all of this stuff that I couldn't necessarily have taught them if I'd sat, unless I'd sat down and said, right, we're going to look at performance art as a subject. Yeah. They taught themselves that, and it really excited me. That's that's the thing that when I felt it really worked was when each one of our students had talked about the kind of subject matter a that I hadn't sort of put their way they'd just mm. been given the subject but be in a really sophisticated way um, and you hadn't given them any brief as to the direction to go you just said here's an object so here's an object you have to create an exhibition that engages a new audience that's the only thing they had right but what they did have in terms of resources is the collection itself is incredible the people there are incredible between them like the reason I brought this up was when you were talking about um, them building these teams you start, they, they were, I think they were pretty confused and <laughs> slightly scared at the beginning, to be honest, because you're like, you're going, you're doing a public show mm. in 12 weeks. It's got to be public. It has to be out there. Um, what you found is as each one started to find their own interests or their positions, they started to kind of form into these groups. I think, again, though, what you have to find is as they have no experience in exhibitions, curation, working with catalogues, I'm having to do some of the heavy lifting. Okay. So, for example, um, when we're talking about curation, what it looks like, the finish on the kind of the way that we mount things, the way that we have information, you know. <laughs> There's one point I was organising people into, right, you're doing the private view, you're doing the build, you're doing whatever. I went, great, great. And they said, what's a private view? <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, you really don't know. Like, which is great. It does mean a lot of extra work to start with. Yeah. And actually what we found was we've, we've recently got these proposals in um, it, the show's in a week and a half and uh, I mean we've been building these and actually what happened was one of the projects wasn't able to happen because it was it's an ethical reason essentially because Franco B works with the body a lot and he deals with things quite quite adult subjects sometimes the students wanted to create a kind of a young uh, uh, they wanted to do workshops based on Franco B's work for children but their idea was to draw out some of the key themes, obviously not actually thinking about the blood, thinking about moral making. Okay. Now, I think ethically it was possible, and actually I've done performance art workshops for kids in a similar vein before, but what was missing was the fact that it has to sit within... It's in the university, so it would have to go through an ethics committee if they want to show the video. They, they would have to go through stage two, because yeah. there's kids involved. There's kids involved, and there's blood bodily fluid yeah. involved, right, being okay. shown. I mean, not yeah. actually performing it, but even just the video of it, so it's access, who's going to be in there. They're also doing a major show of his work within the university soon, so we have to think uh, about that. Okay. Um, you have to think about copywriting. In another case, you ha I ended up having a student contacting an artist who's in his 80s when we'd explicitly said, please do not contact these without coming through us. Mm -hmm. So I then had to kind of deal with the fallout from that. But all of these things, all of these unintended consequences meant that our students suddenly had to pivot a week mm -hmm. before, right? It was actually really good. 
It was really good for them. Yeah. And bless them, they were there with... Sorry, that's not too patronising, but they were with um, Julian, who's one of the heads of the collections. Um, and he was you know, saying, look, it's going to be really problematic to do this. And they had, to be fair, had warning before. But instead of saying, oh, God, what are we going to do? It was like, oh, OK, well, we need to pivot and look at another piece in the collection. They went and dug out this other thing that relates, that has similar kind of work, and they're going to kind of change it so it's more appropriate. It was brilliant. I was just like, this is exactly... I mean, this literally just happened, and this is what happens in real in the real world. Yeah. And I, no, I'm not going to use that term. I hate that term. But everything... Academics why, hate that term. I hate that term. Because <laughs> I'm not... I don't exist, you know? Yeah. Um, but in the kind of the wider world, I suppose, these things happen, right? Mm-hmm. You're dealing with an exhibition about something you know. Suddenly, they're going to just out of the blue say, you can't do that. So what do you do? Yeah. I think their fear was, I wouldn't mark all the stuff they'd already done. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because very clearly, you show me exactly what you've done to that point then you had to pivot, and it changes. And we take that into consideration, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the point of being who we are, as we can be in the assessment of that. You can really think about the challenges they had. So in addition to this, they also each write an individual reflection on the group work they've done, um, which talks about, you know, what was the process, what worked, what didn't work, as well as writing a report that kind of does something similar as a group. I think that's really, really valuable to really kind of iterate, what did you actually learn here? Yeah. Right, maybe you didn't learn everything about performance art, but what you did learn was how to do the research on a subject you don't know, or how to work with that collection. So the final thing that I really, I'm really keen on with this stuff is giving, giving a kind of an uh, not an exit strategy, like an ancient strategy. I don't know quite how to say it. Um, in that, if I was going to go work with collections, most of my students wouldn't just go there and go and work with their collection. Now they would. If there's something that's interesting they want to go and have a look at, yeah. they would just sort of go, yeah, I can just walk in and ask for things. It's getting over that initial contact, I mm-hmm. think. And that's true for a lot of different con- contexts, I think. So whether it's contacting a museum or whether it's, I don't know, going out to a, a nature reserve to go and do some research, it kind of it gives you, right, I've done this once, I can do this again. Yeah, it's that's the confidence me. to yeah, do it. Yeah, the confidence to yeah. do it, I think. Yeah. And the kind of... What's the validation that you're allowed to? Yeah, um, and the learning by doing through the whole yeah. process as well, yeah. because that really reinforces the confidence. You're not just seeing someone else do it; you've done it yourself. Um, but I thought we'd um, we might finish up by kind of looking at some of the areas that people might get stuck on hmm. or might have a little bit of reticence about. Yeah. Um, so some of the practicalities, the logistics and the legal, like you were just talking about there for a minute. So some of the stuff, if you're working with kids, if you're working with schools, you might have to get a DBS check, which is the kind of police check. If you're going into schools, and um, this can be something that doesn't take that much time, doesn't cost that much money, but it might be something if you're dealing with schools, you have to take off your list. If you have students that are leading lots of public engagement activities um, and it's not just, say, a one-off, but it might be an extended period of time, you might want to think about doing a code of conduct just so you can really... Uh, it can be a one-page, it could be a two-page, it can be very short, very light, very easily written, not legalese written. Just saying things like, you know, how to be respectful to people and always keeping the reputation of themselves and the other organisation... Um, at the forefront of their head, so they're they're not talking smack or and being rude about an organisation. <laughs> just a on that, it's really helpful getting them to contribute to that. So exactly, we do that as a class and together. co-write that because then they own it, right? Yeah. So those kind of um, documents, especially when they're co-written, they have more meaning with the students. So sometimes what I do is I'll say to everyone, okay. How are we going to work together? How should we work together? What are the terms in which we should work together? How are we going to be respectful to each other? So students would say, oh, well, 
let's all arrive and finish at the same time, for example. Those could be really simple things. But when they say it, it has more meaning than when I say it and tell them to do yeah. something. And then there's um, really basic things like your risk assessments, your health and safety considerations. And the university has officers for risk assessments that will help you, that will talk you through all of these materials. And also, if you're doing lots of things where you're doing photographs and events and filming, there are photographic release forms and film release forms. All of these types of things, we've got a boatload of templates yeah. that I can really easily share with anyone who's interested. And I can point you in all the directions um, for the people inside the institution who you need to check with. And this kind of checklist, we've got it. We've got the documents, got the templates. So they don't have to be a problem. Um, and they're really easy to to kind of just hop over that little hurdle and move forward with whatever creative endeavour like Kira's doing that you want to get involved with. I'd say one thing as well to think about is if they're your professional contacts, is to think about how you want to manage that process. Um, I mean, this is slightly from experience, but you can, you know, if students contact people in the wrong way, they behave in the wrong way, you don't want to burn your own personal contact sometimes. So I think doing all that, having a code of contact, having, you know, thinking about the health and safety, but just thinking also, when we went to the theatre collection, um, there's uh, one of the assistant, I'm sorry, I'm not archivists, that's the word, um, they're probably going to be the main con point of contact for them, right? They're there every day. They have a very hard job. They're very busy. Um, so making your students aware of what they're asking of yeah. the people, even if it's their job, being really clear about that. Why are you asking? How are you asking? So sorry, there's two things there. One is being careful with your own professional contacts and how you manage that relationship with them. If you want to, ex if you want to expose them, as it were, to your students, great, but just be aware that there are risks with that. Um, the other thing is just that kind of respect thing, I think, which is always really key. And this may seem obvious, but, you know, building services people's, uh, uh, people who are going to be, you know, the sort of the actual staff you're going to deal with. Not that you shouldn't be nice and, you know, moral with everyone, but actually those are the people that you really need to be very careful to understand what the limitations of their resources are. And what I've, what I've found from my experience is the, the students, obviously, when they've had a few hiccups, it's never intentional. It's just maybe something they hadn't thought about. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So just having those yeah. early conversations and talking through um, how things are going to work, they can kind of go, oh, yeah, that all makes sense. And then they'll, you know, they'll just follow what is basically common sense. Yeah. But sometimes it can just be really unthinking um, without and any kind of... It's just they've not intent. had the experience. That's yeah, exactly that's, it. Yeah. And actually, you, again, when you're dealing with professional context, there's a lot of stuff that's unsaid, mm -hmm. which is, again, why you can't teach it without doing it. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't know it's unsaid until someone says it, and then mm -hmm. they go, you're not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, and things, things take longer than you think they're going to take. Yeah, always. It's all that, that experience that it totally changes how they think about that world. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, before we finish, I actually have one more question I really want to ask. Um, and it's because, Ash, we did a podcast, well, I sat in on a podcast you did recently where we talked to um, some staff who had done some engaged learning projects. And they, apart from one, and I've heard this lots around the uni, they did very traditional assessment methods with their engaged learning and public engagement projects. Now, Kia, you just talked about your, your assessment, which is totally not a traditional assessment. So what would you say to, to the staff out there that are doing this sort of thing but are still coming back and saying, okay, we'll write up a report on that or, or you know, write an essay on that experience? 
I mean, for me, I'd say think about your own practice, your own research. Is that how you create your work for the dissemination in the world? Okay. I mean, for me, that is a fairly traditional... Come from an art school background, that's a fairly traditional way of assessing. It's yeah. having a gallery exhibition, right? Yeah. And then they write a short reflection on it. Um, yeah, just think about your own practice. If you're, you know, if you're, I mean, you're a really good example of that, I should think, um, in terms of the way you work with your archaeology and community practice is that's how you work so therefore that's how you expect your students to work so therefore that's how you need to assess them is on those elements as well. It comes back to as well you know we're a research-led organisation mm. and our research is meant to dictate and kind of steer our teaching mm. and if our research practice is completely different and detached from what our students experience mm. of the way their subject interacts with the world there's something that's not connected there mm. yeah. and that is the core of I think what Kira and I sh- have a shared interest about is getting our students to kind of see the world through the, what's really happening and not just not just theoretical it's underpinned by all the theoretical and content knowledge but it's really about the experience of doing it and building that confidence mm. because I, I talk to the students I show them um, how to do research grants and I show them what the um, maybe the Heritage Lottery Fund and the HRC and other groups are looking for, what mm. they demand. Mm. We actually critique them sometimes. Um, I have issues sometimes with the way that your dissemination part of your work is invariably completely not or completely underfunded. And yet that is our duty as academics and researchers to share our knowledge and experience and research outputs with the world. But it's the bit that's the least supported yeah. and so the students kind of get to see how these systems work and they start to critique them and they go oh but what if they weighted things differently they start to question things while they're also doing these yeah. research, research activities just one last thing i suppose it's it's for me there's i always try to expose the assessments to a point and the way i'm teaching so it's really useful if you're teaching is just go so why am i doing this yeah. Why have I taught it like this? Half the time I don't know and they tell me it's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's why I told you that. Um, or there's some latent meaning that I haven't quite recognised. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Um, but yeah, that kind of, why do you think we're assessing like this? What is it we're trying to pull out from this? Um, and I think that's a conversation as well. I think there's always a danger that you are like, I know exactly what I am looking for and it will be this. Yeah. We don't always. You know, the, the whole point is we like to be surprised by our students and engaged and excited. So... So, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to stop on that point. Yeah, I think that's a good point to stop on. Okay, well, is there any last points that anyone wants to add? No, this is really exciting stuff. We're too enthusiastic. Oh, we do have a, a single prompt. If anyone's interested in, in, interested in engaged learning mm. and wants to kind of start a relationship with any organisation, uh, one of our colleagues who's based in careers, Hannah Tudell, um, is part of the engaged learning team. And she's got loads of resources and best practice, um, and she can help you out um, with brokering those relationships with, with other organisations, or just come and talk to us and build, and we'll put you in contact. I was yeah. going to say, I'm always happy to talk about these things. Um, yeah, me too. It's kind, of, it's, it's kind of my practice, it is to talk about this stuff. Whatever so. we have, we share. Yeah. yeah, okay, perfect. All right, um, well, thanks for listening, everyone, and... Always let us know if you've got an idea for a podcast or you want to come and talk on a podcast, you've got something to say, we're always happy to have more people. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Bye. guys. Bye.